1: You can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out
0: MidwayUSA.com.
1: Mobile hunters, the king of comfort has arrived. Go to TetheredNation.com and check out the new Lockdown Saddle. Over the past two years, Tethered has tested and refined a new approach to their saddle lineup. The Lockdown Saddle takes the best-in-class features from the Phantom, like the Utila Bridge, Comfort Channels, and included an expandable saddle body with their Lockdown Link construction to take saddle hunting to the next level of comfort. As if this wasn't enough, they developed Lockdown Haulers, which has a slightly rigid internal frame structure, so you can easily unzip, zip, and access haulers with one hand. And if you're a guy like me with no junk in your trunk and have issues with your saddle staying put while you're walking in to hunt, the Lockdown Modular Yoke solves this problem. Whether you're new to saddle hunting or an old tree climbing veteran, go to tetherednation.com for all your saddle hunting gear. Welcome to the Truth From Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 364. Today, I'm joined by my buddy, Eric Barber, and we're covering his two buck fall, so stay tuned. All right, all right, all right. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you're doing well. Hope you are feeling fine and hope you are recovering from your Thanksgiving Day food coma. I think I started finally coming out of mine about Sunday, I think. Um, That was the day that I kind of started feeling normal again, like I didn't feel perpetually full the entire day. It's like I feel like from Thursday on, like in the morning you get up, you eat a light breakfast because you don't want to overdo it. And then you start snacking on, you know, the, at least in our house, you know, you get like the cheese and the crackers and stuff that kind of come out and you start snacking on that, you know, maybe to prime the stomach and then you have the big meal, you know, then you feel like you just want to pass out or like it's hard to breathe. And then you're like, oh man, I'm not going to eat for a day. And then, you know, a couple of hours go by and then you start picking again and then maybe you eat a little bit more pie, you know, maybe a little bit more pumpkin roll. And then you basically just spend that entire day uh, in pain. And not being able to breathe because you're so full, and then you get into like the weekend where you're still kind of picking at stuff, you know, all all day, and you're visiting with friends, and so you're having some drinks, you're eating more food, and Sunday is like the day where it finally kind of recalibrates and your body finally kind of adapts, and you start to maybe get back to normal, and that's kind of that's where I'm at now. Is like I'm in that home stretch of feeling um, a little bit better, but hopefully everyone had a good Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, all the folks in Pennsylvania. The gun season opened this past weekend, so you know not only did I spend my time, you know, doing the turkey day stuff here with my uh, wife and daughter, but also kind of got the house ready for Christmas, went and got a treat. It's kind of our tradition, but also getting text messages from buddies of mine who were out in the timber um, filling tags on the opener this uh, this past weekend. So Saturday and Sunday, I believe the sun. This was one of the Sundays that we could uh, that we could hunt as well in Pennsylvania. Since you know, maybe one of these days we'll catch up with everybody else and actually be able to hunt Sundays um, on a, uh, on a regular basis. But, uh, beyond that did a little bit of jujitsu and, uh, you know, did take advantage, started getting some holiday shopping done, you know, did take advantage of some of the stuff that there were, uh, having some sales, but did want to pass this along really quick that our, our buddies at tethered, you know, them, you love them. Um, they're the saddle maniacs that keep kind of pushing the envelope in terms of gear and and, and what they're putting out. This is something that they announced, you know, I think it was an ATA and I got to see a, a prototype version of it, not, uh, this, past winter I think but they've released their uh, predator CX or I'm sorry their predator CFX platform um, this is their carbon platform that you've probably heard a fair amount about uh, fair amount about uh, it's super super strong and super lightweight uh, and it's on their site right now um, tetherednation.com if you want to go over and check that out if it's something you've been thinking about possibly adding to your gear bag or maybe if there's someone in your uh in your hunting circle that you think would be deserving of such a gift over the holiday season, you might want to swing over there and check, uh, check some of that stuff out. But with that, we're going to go ahead and just jump into today's show. Uh, have a super rad show for you guys today. Got my buddy, Eric Barber on. So Eric is a guy and we talk about this a little bit in the upfront, but he's a fellow that I've known of for a little while. Um, truthfully, I think we joked about it. I think the first time he and I spoke was back in 2018 or something like that, where we were trying to coordinate schedules, um, to, uh, to have him on the podcast back then. And for whatever reason, you know, it didn't work out and uh, we've followed each other, you know, on social and have been aware of each other. We just have hadn't reconnected to kind of to, to get him back on the show or to get him on the show uh, for the first time. And so um, wh- the way I kind of knew of him is I knew, you know, previously, you know, he did a stint at um, Midwest Whitetail. Um, that was kind of how he got his start in the, in the outdoor space and he was there at the same time, you know, as an intern at first, um, with uh, the guys who, you know, from THP that were that were there as well. So Aaron and Zach. And um, he was, you know, doing a lot of filming, and he kind of got his start in the outdoor space, um, in in that way. And then he since has moved on um, and is, you know, took a job in between. But then he now is uh, working for uh, Vortex. Um, and so I've wanted to have him on for a little while. Awesome outdoorsman, great turkey hunter, great deer hunter. Um, but the thing that we really kind of talked about, he had a phenomenal fall as well. He got a, you know, he drew his, his Iowa tag, um, and filled that uh, on a killer buck and, and, um, shot another uh, really nice buck in archery season in, in, Wisconsin. So he's had an awesome fall. And since then he and I were texting over the, over the weekend, uh, as he was doing some gun hunting in Wisconsin, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was Wisconsin. Um, and he filled another tag uh, using uh, during rifle season. And we talk a little bit about that, about the idea of, you know, keeping the joy. You might see a theme kind of happening since I talked to Jared Sheffler a couple of weeks ago of keeping the joy um, in hunting because I think, you know, as we kind of go and, and we have this passion for the outdoors and um, trying to fill tags and, you know, I think, you know, especially – in the fall, if you're on social media or whatever, you, you see all these guys killing deer and it seems like everyone's killing a big buck, but you, um, and you know, I've had those seasons um, for, the, for the past couple of years. Um, but I think it's always kind of important to remember, you know, to, as long as you keep the fun and the passion in it, good things will happen. And so, um, you know, th- we talk a little bit about that today, you know, Eric, you know, especially knowing that he works in the outdoor space, has worked in the outdoor space for a long time you know, how does he kind of keep that same kind of um, passion for the outdoors when it's not just what he likes to do for fun, but it's also what he does every day for a job, you know, and it's been that way for a long time, like 10, 10 ish plus years. Um, so super awesome conversation with Eric, super good dude, awesome hunter, uh, really dug the conversation. Always look forward to chatting with him and can't wait to talk to him some more in the future. So without further ado, we're going to go ahead and just jump into today's show. And as always, thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I have on my good buddy, Mr. Eric Barber. What's going on, man? Ah,
2: the crowd goes wild. What's happening, dude? <laughs> uh good to see you, Clint. It's uh it's a great time here in Wisconsin. It was uh opening a gun season this weekend and uh riding high on that.
1: Nice, man. That's awesome, dude. Yeah, I'm glad to have you on, dude. It's been a it's been a long time coming. Like I looked back, I've wanted to have you on for years. Um, and I think the first time we touched a base was like 2018 or something like that. And for whatever reason, schedules got messed up and we ended up having yep. to miss that, uh, miss that recording session. And it's taken like, shamefully, it's taken like almost five years to come <laughs> back around <laughs> and get you on, man. But I'm stoked to have you on. A lot has changed for both of us, uh, between now and then, but I'm glad you can make some time, uh, to hop on. And you had, a you had a killer fall, man. We're gonna, we're gonna jump into that, but y- you gotta be feeling pretty good.
2: It, man, it was, uh, it was one for the books. I, like, seriously, I could not be more stoked with how, how this season went. Um, had an Iowa tag in my pocket, North Dakota tag in my pocket, still have that tag in my pocket. Um, Mm -hmm. and then killed an awesome buck here in Wisconsin. So it was, it was one for the books. I'm like, so, so filled up on this right now. Like it's, it's perfect.
1: Nice. Right. So we're recording this the week of Thanksgiving. Just for the folks that are listening, uh, you all ready for the uh, the holidays? You got? Are you a? Do you guys do like a bird? Do you guys do ham? Like what do you guys do in Wisconsin?
2: Yeah, we're 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 uh, turkey folks. Um, okay. Do a big turkey. Whether it's uh, so, last year we hosted um, for the first time. We bought a house a year ago, so we had to course host. Um, this year we're going to my in laws. And uh, they're going to have a huge turkey, you know, all the fixings, um, all the things. So uh, it, it'll be good. I'm looking nice. forward to it.
1: That's awesome. what's your uh, What's your favorite part of the meal, man? Like, what's what's your go to? Are you like a turkey guy? Are you a mashed potato guy? Are you a pumpkin pie guy? Like, what's your jam?
2: So, so generally speaking, turkey for sure. Uh, I'm more of a dark meat guy, but okay. when I'm going to the in laws, my uh, my mother in law makes like the best cheesy potatoes. They're phenomenal. Oh. So, like that is a very close second. Like it's one B to turkey being one A,
1: right? Okay, I should have guessed something with cheese being from Wisconsin. Like you gotta oh, yeah. go cheese, <laughs> <laughs> right? The That's awesome. fits, You know, right? Right? Exactly, man. The uh, I think mine is. Um, like I think my favorite part of it is the wet stuffing. Like that's yeah, that's my jam, you know, is the, is, I mean, I love some turkey, I love some mashed potatoes, but the wet stuffing, cause I only get that once a year, you know,
2: yep. you get some exactly. turkey other times
1: or some mashed potatoes other times, but that wet stuffing and pumpkin roll is my jam. Like that is, I will eat that until I go so, into a coma, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah, man. Pumpkin bars. We do pumpkin bars. Um, very similar, you know, real heavy cream, uh, cream cheese frosting. All the time. More cheese. I love oh, it. Man. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting in a food coma just talking about this, you know? I know. I know. That's awesome, man. So you guys, you know,
1: you hosted last year, you know, you said you bought a house like a year, a year ago. Um, so you've had like a yep. lot of big anniversaries that have popped up. And like the one thing I want to talk about, cause like how I kind of, you know, met you, I guess, you know, is, um, you know, early on was yeah, you know, I, I kind of uh I knew a couple of the guys from THP just because I had had them on the show and stuff like that. And I kind of knew of you through them, essentially. Yep. Um and so and I knew that you had worked with like Midwest Whitetail and you had interned there. And I think Aaron and Zach were there, I think, at the same time whenever you were interning there. Yep. Um and then of course they broke off and did all the awesome stuff that they've been um they've been doing. And I was kind of like, I saw you. So I forget where exactly I saw you, but I was like, ah, oh, that guy's kind of interesting. I was like, I should have him on the show. You know, I was, and I don't know yeah. what it was, but I was like, eh, it seems like a good dude. I was like, I should have, should have him on, knows his stuff. You kill turkeys. I can't kill turkeys. So I was like, so he's a better hunter than I am. I was like, so there's that. Yeah. So there's that. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, you recently, I saw a post that you made um, that I thought was really cool that, you know, it was your 10-year anniversary of kind of, taking the leap of faith of jumping both feet into the, the hunting space. Right. Um, you know, from the time that you, you know, left home essentially, right. To become an intern and then kind of, you know, go on to do what you do now, which is, you know, you work for, um, for Vortex. So talk to me a little bit about like that leap into the hunting space. Like when you first took that internship, were you like, it's the hunting space or bust or were you kind of like, I'm going to check this out and see what happens and like, yeah, I don't know if it'll work out or not. What was your, what was your kind of yeah. thoughts? Thinking back on it now as like an older person, right? Like what, 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 what would you tell that young guy now?
2: It's so hilarious, man, because I remember distinctly, like it even actually predates the internship. Um, I went to uh, uh, Carroll College, now Carroll University in, in Southeast Wisconsin, near where I grew up. And uh, when I started college, I was an exercise like, science major. I wanted to be like a sports nutritionist or something like that, um, something in that field. And it was like literally three weeks of of uh, into college. I'm like, I cannot do this. Like all the <laughs> science, all the stuff. I'm like, this is just not my jam. You know, it's not gonna right. work. And I, I remember distinctly sitting in my dorm room. It was like early October. Um, of course, I was all you know into hunting still back then. Um. But I, I knew I had an exam the following morning that I knew I was going to fail. And, uh, cause I just didn't know this stuff at all. And, uh, I went on deer deer hunting's website and I was just looking at different like editors of deer deer hunting and I'd like read their bio and I would, that it would like backtrack to like where they would say like where they went to school, what they went to school for. And all these guys went to school for like communication, journalism, business marketing, stuff like that. So, Literally that night, I'm like, I'm going to go in tomorrow. I'm going to fail that exam. I'm going to um, change my major afterwards to uh, marketing and communications. And I'm going to write, I'm going to be an editor of a hunting uh, magazine someday. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I, I did that. I changed my major the next, the next day. I got an 11% exam and that's like <laughs> with <trying. laughs> I'm like, man, it was It was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. But anyways, um, you know, I I changed my major and then uh, fast forward three years. I'm actually I would have been a junior at that point. So fast forward two years, two and a half years. It was uh, spring semester my junior year. Um, Saw a posting for Midwest Whitetail and it was was, um, a Facebook post. And in there it said like, uh, you know, looking for interns. And then there was this line that like stuck out and it was, uh, Bill, it was on Bill's personal Facebook page. It said, this opportunity can literally change the direction of your life. And, um, you know, I put together my stuff. I applied. Um, I actually went on uh, you know, I, I, watched the show oily I looked up, uh, uh, Aaron, Jared Mills and Pat McSherry were the three full-time guys there at the time. And uh, I like messaged those guys. I friend requested them on Facebook. That's the one. Facebook was still big. You know, Instagram was like basically brand new. And uh, messaged those guys. And like Facebook actually charged me like $5 to message them, which I thought was kind of sketchy. But uh, yeah, <laughs> messaged no those guys. Yeah, messaged those guys. And went through the, the uh, interview process. And it all worked out. And going into that internship to answer your question, I was like, I'm going to give this all everything I have because I really don't know what I'm going to do. Like I, this is what I want. this is everything that I'm passionate about. And if it's not this, I don't know what else it, it would be. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it was one of those deals where I went there thinking that I was going to be, um, somebody that helped out with the website, helped out with writing articles for the website, managing the social media stuff, maybe getting a couple chances here and there to film and, uh, six days into my internship, one of the guys who his primary responsibility was going to be to film, he backed out. Mm-hmm. And right away, we're one guy down. And then I got an opportunity to go to be the guy that filmed in addition to those other things. And I'll never forget, we went out on wikis. I was filming a segment for uh, the off-season show with Aaron. And he handed me a Sony EX-1. He's like, figure it out. And put that thing on a tripod. And I literally... Did not know how to turn it on, you know? Like I had no <laughs> idea. I tur- finally do get it on and it's like, everything is white. Like it's way overexposed. It just looks like hell. And uh, he kind of helped me get my settings right and uh, film that show. And um, we thought it was due like the following week when we come back and uh, this is on a uh, Friday evening. And we come back and Warb looks at me. He's like, hey, he's like, that's due Sunday morning or Sunday evening. We need to get it over to Cabela's because it was their whitetail watch series and they needed to post it that Monday." And he's like, you know, I don't know how we're going to do this. He's like, I'll just do your segment because you're not going to know how to do any of this. Mm -hmm. And I literally stayed up for two days straight and got that that stupid show done. It was like a little five minute segment that today would take. Anyone, you know, 30, 40 minutes to put together. Right. And uh, after that, it was kind of like things clicked. And I'm like, you know, if I continue to like learn about this stuff and put in, you know, work, it'll, it will work out something, something, whether it's there, elsewhere, whatever. Um, and I, taking it full circle, like it literally did change the direction of my life because I have no idea what I would be doing as it wouldn't have been for that opportunity. Right. That's awesome, man. Like, I love like
1: the, um, dealing with the have to, right? Like when you just got to figure something out, like that's usually like, that's usually when the magic happens. You know, I know whenever I first went to intern, um, at a recording studio, cause the band and the music thing was like the first thing that I did like professionally. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, I walked into my buddy's studio. Actually, I met him at a bar and we were just talking music. Um, and I realized I had just moved from Philadelphia to Florida and he was from New Jersey originally. So we had like regionally, we were from like roughly the same area. We were into all the same music, you know, and, um, we were just kind of talking and, you know, he was like, Oh, you're in a band. And we were just kind of BS. And he, and I was like, yeah, was like, you know, I, I came, I actually moved there to go to full, so to like a recording art school. And he's like, don't go there, man. He's like plenty of people waste their money there. He's like, just come to my studio and an intern. He's like, do you know how to you know, use recording equipment? And I was like, Oh yeah, dude, I'm good been in studios a bunch like reality was I was in a studio one time in my life you know what I mean and that was it yeah and um and I just basically showed up and just started faking it until I made it right and it was and then I eventually got a job there and you know the band did stuff we got signed like you know that was what I did for a long for a long time and uh it was funny because we looked back on it talking and uh after I had the job for a while and we became really really close and uh I was like you know when did you realize that I was full of shit he's like oh the first day He's like, I knew you did. <laughs> he's like, I knew you had no clue what you were doing. He was like, But dude, he's like, You figured it out and you would just figure out whatever it, is I ask, whatever it was I asked you to do. He's like, And he's like, You had an ear for certain tones for certain instruments. He's like, That I couldn't find that, that nobody else I worked with had that you just were naturally understood what sp- stuff was supposed to sound like. He's like, So when you mic stuff up, he's like, You didn't really know what you were doing. He's like, But you knew what sounded good. He was like, And so yeah. he's like, I just let you run. You know what I mean? So, but it was kind of funny because he was like, anybody, he's like, anybody else, he's like, I would have canned him like in the first like two days. He's like, but you had a good year. He's like, so I kept you around for a while.
2: (laughs) That's so cool, man. That's how it works out. You know, fake it till you make it.
1: That's it, man. So what was, uh, so in the past decade, right? So like just going from that to like, now you're at Vortex, right? Um, what have you learned in the past decade? Do you think that, that we're kind of like, I guess Moments that maybe shaped you, or things that you were like that you look back on. And you're like, wow, that was a really kind of a pivotal moment, or that was a really like big learning opportunity. Aside from like Warb saying, "Hey, figure this thing out." Aside from that part, yeah. you know, what are some of the, like the, the the big things that you've learned like ten years in the making?
2: Yeah, the the, the biggest thing is is the people for sure. Yeah. The people, no matter what you're doing. I mean, you could be um, you could be in the in the trades. You know, my dad's a carpenter. You could be a, car- a carpenter contractor. And, um, you know, if you, if you're surrounded by good people, good things are going to happen. And we like, what I mean by that is, um, I interned in 2013 and, uh, started full-time then in, uh, uh December of 2014. Mm-hmm. So I had a little bit of time off there where I had to actually go back and finish school before I started full-time at Midwest Whitetail. And it would have been like, um, the fall, It was November of 2015. You know, I was kind of coming into my own a little bit. I was starting to understand a little bit more about editing. I was kind of developing my own style, you know, whether it was filming, editing, whatever. Um, and I was starting to, you know, you you get that little, like, bump early in your career where you get a little confident and you, you, you're you an idiot because of it, you know. <laughs> and um, and that was me. Like, that was 100% me. Right. And I remember questioning Warb and what, what Aaron was our, he, he ran the show, you know, yeah. like he was our, like, his, if, if we, we didn't have titles at Midwest Whitetail, but if he did, he, his would have been, like, the office manager, you know, in mm-hmm. addition to editing and filming and all the things, right? Um, so we all kind of, like, answered to him, he, and then he was, uh, you know, answering to Bill. Um, and I was kind of, like, pushing him back on something. And, uh, you know, we, we had a healthy debate, I'd call it, in the parking lot of uh, Midwest Whitetail. And and uh, I was frustrated, and he, he, at the end of it, he's like, you know, if I didn't, Hey, if i didn't care about you i wouldn't i wouldn't be talking to you about this i would let you do whatever you want right you know and that was like a light bulb moment that i mean he doesn't even actually know the story even he probably doesn't even like think about this you know but this is something that like when we when he said that it was something that i just like it clicked and that is stay true from midwest whitetail to you know no no vortex like but you're surrounded by good people that care good things are going to happen. And, and that, that's probably been the biggest thing, whether it's looking for people to be on the team, looking for the people that you want to surround yourself with or whatever. You know, if you're a, a, a team with, with a good people connection, you can out-compete the, the most talented crew out there all day.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, you see that, you know, when you look at team sports, right? It's rarely the most talented team. It's usually the team that is most most connected to each other and willing to do anything for the guy next to them. Right. Like if you ever listen to anything from any of the seals, right. They'll always tell you, yep. I'll take the guy who physically can't do X, Y, and Z, but that I can trust that when he says I'm going to do X by God, he's going to try to do X. He may not be physically capable to do all of it. Right. But I'll take that guy. Then the guy that I think might, might leave me high and dry. You know, absolutely. And all, I forget. There was a quote that I saw from one of them. I forget what seal it was. It's like a well known, it's like someone like a Jocko or something like that. But said mm-hmm. something, said something like, I will take eight guys that are capable, you know, and willing than eight guys plus two more that are capable but not willing. Like, just don't even send me the other two. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd rather go in unmanned or undermanned with more capable and willing people than going in with more people and have two guys that aren't, aren't all about it. You know? Um, and he said, we'll outperform the team with 10 with two guys that aren't all about it. Yeah. You know, so that's spot on. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so, so thinking about that, right. And, and I think what Warb said to you was, was true. It's like, it immediately made me think of, you know, conversations I've had, whether it was like with a coach or whatever that, you know, usually the people who care most about you are usually the hardest on you, right? Because, like, Mm -hmm. they want to pull out, like, everything that you're capable of, you know what I mean? Whether you had a coach in high school, college, you know, or just a good, like, mentor or whatever, you know? And so all the time that you've spent in the space, you know, how have you seen the space evolve, right? Because you are really, like, at the infancy of, like, the digital kind of transformation of the space to a degree, right? Because before, before... Prior to like Midwest Whitetail, that was really the kind of the first show that went on the digital platform, right? That was when you really started to see the industry of like real, like of TV start to go away and, and things move to a digital platform. And then of course, like the THP guys kind of took it and blew it out of the water. Um, And then everyone and their mother has followed suit now Then after that. Right. But you were kind of really at like the, at the precipice of that. Like, that's really kind of where all that started. Can you, can you talk to me a little bit about how you've seen things uh, evolve from, from your perspective?
2: Yeah. It, it, the biggest thing that I, I feel there is like the, the brands, the shows, whether it's uh you know, an, an influencer or, you know, guys like THB that have like their own business, their own web show, it's or, or a brand like Vortex. It's the people that can connect to the other mm-hmm. people that are watching whatever that is, whether it's, mm-hmm. you know, at Board likes we have a product, HP, their product is a show that they put out. Um, but if you can't connect to the end consumer, the person that's on the other side of that, you know, that, it's really an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and man, like that is w- one thing that I think has been so cool in watching like the hunting media and hunting industry kind of evolve. is you've seen a little bit more focus on the, like connecting with that that audience, that person who is, you know, listening to every podcast or, you know, commenting on every video or using your stuff in the field, whatever it is, um, you know, it's, it's that focus on the the person there. And those are the brands or the the entities that are doing really well. Whereas Mm -hmm. like, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I mean, even what, like when I first started watching hunting content, when I was like DNN outdoors, you know, back when I was like seven, eight years old, you know. It was more just about like, look at me, watch me do this. This is really cool. And like, that's still part of it. And it's always going to be right. Like right. you always got to have people excited and hyped up about stuff. Um, But as it's kind of taken a little bit more of a shift towards that connection, I look, I look at like the, the Heartland Bullhitter guys mm-hmm. a lot. Like those guys have done such a great job for so long. And they just kind of like, like they fly under the radar as being like some of the best most talented dudes out there especially mm-hmm. at like telling the story that connects oh, people yeah. you know like like I, i'll watch a, a uh with like Styler and he's got like his kid in the blind and it's like dude, that's awesome like everyone mm-hmm. can relate to that and and that is what makes me feel connected there you know right.
1: i think you're dude i love the way you kind of said it how it's like it's really kind of figuring out a way to connect to the to the to the person on the other side, right? And what I think is really cool is that there's so many, now that there's so many ways, I'm trying to figure out how to say this, that there's so many ways to be a publisher or an entity, if you will, mm-hmm. right? There's so many platforms that you can utilize to, to tell a story, you know, to be a storyteller um, that we now have um, variety, right? We've got different flavors, right? Where before you really got one flavor. And if that flavor wasn't yours, then you were just kind of SOL, right? So it didn't feel like hunting was maybe accessible for everybody. Like if you w- go back in time, I'm a little bit older than you. So like going back and watching some of the TV shows and stuff that I had when I was a kid, like I rarely watched hunting shows cause I didn't, we didn't have cable like where I grew up. So it's like very rarely <laughs> did I get to watch like a hunting yeah. show. Um, but it was very, you know, um, it was very old school. Like you said, like, look at me, I'm sitting on like a, field edge somewhere. And like, and I killed this because I use these three products. It was very much like that. Right. Mm-hmm. That's kind of mm-hmm. how it was. Right. Um, and for some people, like they dig that and that's awesome. Like, and they, and there's, there's that flavor for them. But like you were saying, it's like, you've got the Heartland bowhunter guys. And I remember when I first started starting this podcast, they were probably one of the first ones that I really started watching. And it was because of their storytelling. Like they were just so good mm-hmm. at telling like a meaningful story. And then the story was more than just the hunt. And the cinematography was so amazing and the, like the audio was amazing. It felt like you were watching like a premiere of a very small film each time you watched an episode, you know? And I loved it for that. And then like my other flavor is, is like, you know, I love Whitetail Adrenaline. Like that's probably my favorite stuff to watch because the Heck cinematography yeah. is crazy, it's fast-paced, those guys are savages, or killing giants, or doing it on the ground, you know? And then whenever the THP guys did their thing, like, you know, and I still follow those guys, but it's like, great content, very relatable, you know, and um, very transparent, you know, and that was like a refreshing breath of fresh air as well, you know? And so I think to me, like, that's what I like the most is that, man, there's a piece for anybody who wants, is interested in any type of hunting that it's out there for you now. Right.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that's, and that is what's awesome is like, no matter what you're doing, no matter if you're, you know, what, what your hunting style is, bow hunter, gun hunter, whatever. you know, like that's, that is the one thing that has probably bothered me the most over the last like 10 years of like, as you get more invested in anything, whether it's, you know, a sport or in this case, like we're talking about the hunting industry, you start to, you get closer to it and you start to see these fractures, you know? And it's like, you start to see these divisions of like this versus that, or like this style versus that style. This guy shot a three-year-old and then like people are Complained about him shooting a three-year-old or whatever, you know? Right. Um, so that's been the thing that, that like, you know, kind of the sidetrack is like, you get close to it. You kind of get disappointed by that. But then, mm-hmm. you know, to, to back up and wrap a bow on that point is there are so many different things for so many different people. But at the end of the day, every single person is trying to do the same thing. They're trying mm-hmm. to go out in the woods, they're trying to have fun and they're trying to shoot a deer that they're happy with and proud of. And right. and like, those are, that's so simple. And if, 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 folks can just kind of wrap on to that, mm-hmm. respect the other guy for doing what he's doing, but do your thing. And, and if you do your thing or you, you're going to be happy about it. And the people that are truly happy for you are going to be happy for you and people mm-hmm. that aren't going to care or might be a little pessimistic about it. You're never going to hear from them because no one's ever going to reach out and let you up on it, you know, right. do your thing on your own run, you'll be good.
1: Yeah, it's funny because my buddy Chad and I used to always joke about that, that, you know, um, there might be three guys a couple years from now that remember what you killed three years ago or last year or, or whatever, yeah. you know. And he and I talked about that because we went to Kansas together and he killed, you know, like 172-inch deer the first year we were there. Um, and we were just kind of joking about it because it actually wasn't even the biggest deer he's ever killed, but it was a giant public land, like shot at five yard, five yards on the ground, like incredible hunt. And we were just kind of joking because I was like, dude, you realize, like, well, I didn't say you realize because we both knew this. And I was like, you know, nobody's going to remember that you killed that deer the way you killed it and how exciting yeah. it was, except for like me and like, like the guys you work with at Exodus essentially, right? Like your, your best friend no, no. And that's it, you know? And you know, I had good fortune of killing a really good deer this year. And I, I joked about this because someone sent me a message and was like, dude. I was, uh, my buddy, Johnny Utah, I was visiting with him in Iowa on my way back home and, and we were joking because, you know, someone said, and they said this in a very nice way. They were like, oh man, it's going to do wonders for your podcast. And I, and I joked with John, <laughs> I was like, I was like, it's funny that people think that I was like, cause the reality is, is like next week, nobody's going to remember, you know what I mean? I was like, yeah. I mean, it's meaningful to me and I'll remember it for the rest of my life, but nobody else is going to remember, you know, I was like, so you need to keep that. People need to keep that in mind when they're hunting that it's not that important to everybody else, you know? So do what you want Yeah. Do.
2: I, I had an Iowa tag this year and it was, I, I went down there, um, every weekend since September 30th, um, until I ended up killing on October 30th, except one weekend I went down there every, and I was like going to do that until like, I'd be down there right now if I still had the tag. Yeah. And, um, I told my wife, you know, we don't have kids yet. And it's like, that's kind of my thinking right now, I was like, I'm, I'm really embracing this like stage of life that we're at right now, where I can kind of do these things and, you know, leave on a weekend and, and do that. And I put them like, we were talking, at, uh, this was like, or mid October. And, um, actually I stayed home that weekend. It was the one weekend that I stayed home and I had a giant, like 170 inch 10 pointer cruise by my camera in broad daylight, eight 30 in the morning. <laughs> and it was the tree that I would have been in had I gone down there and run it that morning. Um, and we were talking about it and, and she's like, why are you so stressed about like this piece of paper that is in a Ziploc bag that says Iowa DNR, you know? And, and she's like, or I, I just, I replied like, well, it's a lot of pressure. Like I want to shoot a big deer. I want to do all that. She's like, why is it a lot of pressure? It's like, nobody cares. No one cares what you're going to shoot. Mm-hmm. um She's like, go down there, do your thing. She's like, I'm gonna be happy for you no matter what you do. Your dad's gonna be happy for you no matter what you shoot, and and your friends that you know you share this with, they're gonna be stoked. So don't put your pressure pressure on yourself. Go down there and, and enjoy it. And I'm just like, you know what? Yeah, you're right. Like I think about other people that I've seen, you know, kill bucks, even like pretty close buddies. I'm like, yeah, that's sweet. But then like the next day happens, and you're boom back down in the day to day and you're not thinking about the buck that. I buddy up the road shot, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: I mean, and you're 100%. It was such a,
1: it was yeah. so refreshing, yeah, sure. you know? Yeah, 100%, man. I mean, it's funny you say that because, you know, um, uh, I think personally when we have those like, you know, like seminal moments for ourselves, right? You know, whether, you know, it's uh, filling a tag in Iowa, you know, which is like a big deal because like, look, you only get them once every four to five years depending on what unit you're going to be in, right? So it's not something that happens every day. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you try to hold on to that feeling or that, that moment. Right. Um, you know, I certainly did after the Kansas hunt, like, and it was weird cause I was, cause I had time off when I came home, uh, cause that happened early in the hunt. So I had like another week off and I just remember sitting there thinking, like trying to replay it in my mind cause I didn't want to lose it. You know what I mean? And like, I'm mm-hmm. not going to get the mount back for a year. And of course I have the pictures and stuff, but I'm like yeah. trying to like hold on to that, that memory, you know? And I just kind of caught myself and I'm like, like, why are you trying to, why are you trying to hold on to something that's already happened? You know, it's like, yeah, doesn't make it any more or less meaningful. You know, like you, and it, I don't know. It was really kind of, maybe it's cause I'm getting old, man. I don't know. I'm getting older, but I was like, you need to try to figure out how to feel like that every day. With, oh, yeah. without that, like, uh, stimuli without killing a big deer being the reason, right? Like, and so that right. was kind of like a, it's funny how deer hunting teaches you different things at different times, right? If you're just open to mm-hmm. it, it'll t- it'll teach you a lot. Like it just, if you, if you soak in the moments and then you realize, because it made me think about like, man, why, why don't I feel like this all the time? You know what I mean? Like, what is wrong yeah. with me that like, I can't find that level of joy unless I achieve this like goal. Right. And, um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's interesting, but you're right, man. It's like, nobody, nobody cares. And now at this point, it's like, I'm back at work and it's like, and I barely care. (laughs) You
2: know what I mean? Right. Right. Yeah. It is one of those things where like, um, um, you know, back to your point about like, why does it, why, why does it have to go perfect for me to get excited about it? Mm -hmm. You're only going to kill your biggest deer so many times, you know, like at some Mm -hmm. point you can't do it anymore, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that's where some people get in trouble is they, I, I, you know, everyone is, everyone has that buddy that they've seen go through this. Like I've gone through it to a degree, you know, everyone I'm sure that is, you know, really passionate about anything, whether it's hunting or, you know, whatever their thing is that they do, you probably get a little burned down on it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, but if it's like, hey, you, you, you got to realize it's the process, not like that end outcome of like shooting that biggest deer. And if you can start having fun or I'm like, you know, hanging your saddle set up and like tweaking things and like just little enjoyments out of like, oh, I'm going to try this new spot or like now I can identify what that tree is. And I enjoy that I am able to do that. Like mm-hmm. it's little wins like that. But and if you can hang on to that, man, that's going to keep you way more refreshed than like, oh, I need another 150,
1: Right that's that's just it dude and it's funny you say that because it made me think about what are the things this season when I think back on the season right what are the things that stick out that stand out to me right and it's funny because it's actually things from prior seasons because it took me a couple years to like fill the the two tags I filled this year were actually tags that I took three years to fill because it was learning a new piece and hunting and I wanted to do it a certain way and stuff like that and so I don't actually think about the day that I hunted this year I think more about the days where I figured something out the past two seasons for to fill both the tags like those are the moments that I got stoked on you know what I mean like that's actually the piece that I remember most vividly you know it was the lessons learned along the way that kind of stuck with me right you know yeah man the uh so you had the Iowa tag. I want to. I want to get in. I want to get into this. Uh, the uh, the October hunt. So there was, it was. It was October. Was Iowa right? Is where you filled that tag.
2: Yeah. Yep. Right.
1: So so give me a little bit of give me a little. Ta- I don't want like the zone or whatever, but just give me a taste of like yeah. habitat surroundings. Like what what kind of situation were you in there?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I. Um, you know I lived in Iowa for from 2013 to 2017. And, uh, the areas that I lived in are really getting hit really hard right now. Mm. So I'm like, man, I'm going to try a little different area. Um, and I have a, a really good buddy that I reached out to him. He does, uh, um, you know, real estate work. And I hit him up back when I was like around the time of like figuring out what zone I was going to apply for. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Hey man, like, you know, I have been applying for this tag for five years. I'm actually like looking for a lease. If you could find something. Let me know. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for something that I can control just because it's a little bit, you know, like this is a hard thing to draw. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's like, yep, I'll uh, tell me what you're looking for, blah, blah, blah. And I'll, I'll get back. Yeah, a week goes by, he calls me back. He's like, hey, man, he's like, I, you know, have hit up a bunch of people, you know, tap my network. And he's like, I'm not finding anything that I think you would like be happy with. But we own a bunch of land. Like this is him talking. He's like, our family owns a bunch of land. And he's like, you would be more than welcome to run it. And and they have a great farm. And I was like, you know, never in a million years where I've expected that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, you know, I even had to take some time to think, like, man, is this really what I want to do? Like, you know, I don't want to feel like I'm putting anytime you do that, you, there's that little piece where you're like, am I putting anybody out? Like, you know, I don't want to be a, a bother, anything like that. But right. I'm like, you know what? Like, uh, screw that like, again, back to that human element, like there's so many, so much good in that. Um, so I called him back and like, let's do it. Um, uh, nice. so I went down there and, uh, uh, scouted his stuff a little bit in the summer, um, did some trail camera stuff, um, you know, some glassing and whatnot. And, uh, then came down in the last weekend in September it was the weekend that Iowa opened. It was like the 30th and then the first, I think it was like the first bell on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the 30th was, was, uh, the Saturday. His family was out of town that weekend. And I'm like, you know what? I like, I want to at least go down there and get some cameras out on some public stuff because I, you know, I'm, I have two weeks off for this tag. I had from October 28th through November 12th. And I'm like, throughout that two week period, you know, he has brothers, he has family, um, and that like they, they also hunt and I'm like, I don't want to ever feel like I'm, you know, I want to have backup options if I just want to change the scenery. You know, I know right. I was more than welcome to hunt his stuff, but I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go down, throw some cameras out and, and go from there. So I went to this brand new piece. It was, a, you know, a bigger, bigger section and, uh, put a bunch of cameras out that day. I actually drove down. I left my house at like 2 AM on the 30th, got down there and, uh, I'm like walking through and a little side story. It's kind of funny. I'm, I like get to my first camera, put this camera out. I'm like looking for rubs and stuff and find like a couple rubs and like a scrape. and I'm like, man, this is money. I put put this camera out over it and I walk like maybe like 20 yards past the camera and like my hip belt on my uh, backpack is like, man, it's like really like rubbing and like hurts a little bit. I'm like, oh, this backpack, it doesn't weigh that much. I don't want have trail cameras in here. So I unclipped the, the, you know, waist belt and I lift up my shirt a little bit, just to like look at my waistline, expecting to see like rub marks from my hip belt. And dude, I had like thousands of seed ticks on me. Like, <laughs> like you could not have, you could not have spit another tick on like my, my like, uh, my hips. Man, and yeah. I like breathed out. I like, it was so bad, like when I rubbed it, they like formed like this line and they were still all over the place. I mean, I legitimately had thousands. I was going to sleep in the back of my truck that night, and it's hot. It was like 97 degrees, and I'm like, I just got to like power through this. I got to get as many cameras as I can get out today, and I'm going to get in my truck at like 7 p.m. at dark, and I'm just heading straight back home because I cannot sleep in, in like covered in these sticks. So put a a couple more cameras out. I think you got three cameras out total that day. And the second one that I put out, I was like really stoked about it. Like it was this little like creek bottom, big couple ridges that dumped down. And there was like the only scrape that I found that day was right there. And it was like torch. I put that camera over that scrape and uh, go home. I'm waking up my wife and she's like doing the check. She was absolutely thrilled. Um, but, uh, (laughs) anyways, you know, that next week it was, uh, it was crazy because all of a sudden we were, you're always waiting for that first, like good cold front. And right away we were going to get it like October 6th. Um, and throughout that week I was getting all these different bucks on that camera. So I go down there to hunt on the six. I actually hunted my buddy's, uh, private piece with him and he killed a giant that night. absolute giant. Um, he killed like a 173 inch eight pointer, just a brink oh, of danger.
1: that is just <laughs> ridiculous.
2: A huge deer, huge deer. And, um, we're stoked about that. That was, that is going to be one of the highlights of my season for sure. Just being sure. there when he killed that deer. Um, and then the next day hunting the public and, uh, kind of got my butt kicked, I still didn't have the access dialed and, um, you know, that was that weekend, um, from then, I came back the following weekend. No, sorry, I actually took that next weekend off. And then from there, it was uh, go down and hunt every weekend until I was going to kill this this deer or kill a buck down there um, or until like my, you know, vacation from the 28th through the 12th came in um, because I was basically dedicating the whole season to Iowa. And um, went down there for my, my vacation on the 27th. And uh, hunted his uh, private piece warrants, the public piece a couple of times. I was like bouncing, you know, back and forth because I still wanted to keep pressure. Off. Even though I had like that two weeks, you know, I had such a long time. I wanted to keep pressure off the private piece before, until it got like really good. So right. it was, uh, you know, I think I had from the 28th, 29th, 30th, when I killed on the 30th, I think I had spent most of, I had at least two or three sits on the public at that point. And, uh, I went in on the, the 30th and after it, but it, like, it was beautiful weather that day, like high pressure, freezing cold. I mean, it was like in the mid thirties and, and we had been, we had warm weather that week, you know, up so it was a big temp change, big front, you know, I was like, it was a perfect day. So I, uh, went into this spot. Um, it was one of the deeper sections on it. And I'm like, you know what, like this public piece is gonna get start getting hammered so like i'm gonna go for a home run right here like right right out of the gates because you know i, I had started to see signs of more uh competition from other hunters you know you start seeing more trail cameras popping up it was like a really slow um build up of, of pressure that you're noticing you know you'd be walking out and all of a sudden you'd come across a, a camera that wasn't there the weekend before when i hunted so i just i was aware of that or like i drove past you know, one parking lot and there's a, a gentleman from West Virginia in there that I, I talked to him and he was like, yeah, he's like, I'm down here, you know, until I kill a deer or until I fill my buck tag. So I'm like, I knew all this was going on. So on the 30th, I'm like, I'm just going to go for the the heart on this property, um, pack in and just sit it all day. So I went in, um, after hunting the the private piece in the morning and I had got skunked, you know, mm-hmm. and at, like 10 o'clock, I go in, I pull everything out, I drive over to the public piece. I'm walking in probably around like 1130. It's set up at noon. And, um, I was sending my dad little like video updates. He was living vicariously through my, this day, you know, through right, me. Right. Um, I just got done sending him a video update of kind of how everything came together, put my phone in my pocket. And all of a sudden you hear that like plastic, you know, crunching the leaves behind me. And I turned around and here, like, there's this real nice buck coming right up the way that I walked in. Um, he was coming on my weak side. So I had to, like, spin and I didn't really have a whole lot of time to uh, check what it was. I, I, when I saw him right away, I'm like, man, that's the buck. But I, I had a, I bumped a real nice one in this creek bottom uh, in early October. And, like, that is definitely that deer. And it, he looks very, very similar. He's probably just a year younger than that deer. It turned out to not be him but I get turned around and he comes through at like eight yards. And at that point I'm drawn back and I shoot absolutely smoked him. He went about 50 yards and stopped and just tipped over right there. And and it was epic. It was one of those nice. days too, where like deer were just on their feet like crazy. You know, it was, it was guys always say like the light switch flipped. And that was like I one of those days that like felt like that, you know, bucks right. were dog and does. Um, it was just super cool, you know, and it was one of those things where like the tag out on October 30th in Iowa is one of those things where you're like, man, like, I just wish I could like breathe life back into this thing and chase him for another two weeks. Not because you're like, yeah, not because you're sad that like you're, you're, uh, like the deer shot or whatever, but because like you want to experience as much as you can when you're down there, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I totally agree with you, man. Dude, that's awesome. Like, I, I, I want to go back to one thing, but I, I want to say that, like, I totally agree yeah. with you on that because, you know, usually I'm like a, a fourth quarter guy, man. I usually, when I fill tags out of state, it's usually like the last day of the hunt. You know, <laughs> that's just like the way I roll yeah. for whatever reason, you know, but this year it was on the second day and I caught myself, like, I was happy that I I filled my tag, but there was a part of me that was like, man, I wish I was out, like, glassing again or like seeing it, watching yeah. bucks chasing, you know, just like the experience, like you say, like, I want to like soak it all in, man. Like you only get this time once every year, you know, and you just want to drink it all in as much as possible. But what was, uh, you said that, you know, you were still trying to dial in the access for that piece. So what was the access that you ended up using? Like, did it change from like the first sits, you know, until like the last one? And if so, like, how did that change?
2: It it did. It did a lot. It was, I mean, like I said, the only time I set foot on this piece really was uh, September 30th when I went in there and scouted the first time. And uh, you know, I had a handful of hunts here and there, but never really going in for into the the, the epicenter of it. Um, and when I went in the first time, what what I tried doing is staying like really high on these open ridge tops. I thought they were going to be really open ridge tops. Generally down there, um, when you look at like hardwood uh primarily hardwood properties um and i still do think that this is true but this piece was just really unique generally speaking those open hardwood bridge tops are like white oak uh almost looks like a park you can just walk through it and then there's a creek bottom that is that all these ridges are dumping down into and like i'm gonna stay out of that creek bottom because i knew it was thick and i knew that's where those bucks were bedding um It was actually kind of backwards of what I've noticed, you know, here hunting Southwest Wisconsin, where I live, you know, those bucks definitely like having a little bit more of an elevation advantage here at home. And we are right in the heart of the Driftless area. Those bucks definitely prefer being on the upper third of those ridges, Um, which kind of threw me off, that they were hanging out real low in that creek bottom. So the first hunt that I actually went in on was the morning of October 7th, and I went in blind you know, just with my headlamp, trying, thinking that I would just cruise those open um ridge tops. And it ended up being about a mile and three quarter walk in. And it was just thicker than heck. Like there was some <laughs> cedar uh thickets up in there. And long story short, I totally blew it out. Like I I'm like walking to this spot and as I'm walking there, like I'm going in at the crack of dawn. Like it, it was like legitimately I think I left the truck at 4 30 a.m. And this is like october 7th because i knew i'm just like if i can get there and i can get set up right like i'm gonna kill one this morning um and as i'm walking through the tree my cell cam is like just you know sending me pictures of like all the big bucks that i'm like hunting at that camera at that straight and i'm like if i can just get there it's gonna be beautiful but uh the access was so tough like it did that that hardwood was not at all what I thought it was going to be. It was all these cedar thickets, the floor row rows, just nasty, thicker than snot. And I, I honestly, like hindsight now talking about this, I think that's part of the reason why those deer weren't betting in that. I think it was so thick. I think it was so, it gave them such a, um, like it didn't give them anything really from a, a, a sight advantage by them betting up on those cedar thickets because they just, you couldn't see anything. Mm -hmm. yeah they were definitely secure nothing was really going to come through that stuff but when they would go down on that transition edge of that creek i think they just had and especially in mornings you know where the um the thermals would still kind of be pulling up in the in the the, that creek bottom i think they really liked that area um and just a lot of things were working there and i think that's why those bucks preferred that so that was the biggest thing that changed because then when i started hunting it a little bit smarter and that was the first time that i went in that day that I killed was on that, uh, or done that specific area. What I did that time is I accessed from a totally different end of the property. And I found, I found a dry Creek bed that I thought there was going to be water in. I will had, a uh, you know, they, they didn't have a whole lot of rain this year. So this Creek that historically holds water was totally dry. And I was able to access through that Creek and I mean, you, you're literally walking past those deer because kind of like what we were talking about, like they were definitely bedding down in that stuff. And I actually have a video of, uh, on, it was like early October when I was walking out from morning run, this buck just stu- stood up and he was 50 yards away. Super nice, probably mid forties, mid one forties, nine pointer. And, uh, I don't think anyone was really doing that at that stage of the season. As the season went on, I think people started, uh, you know, hunting pressure ramped up. Generally, I feel like residents in Iowa definitely don't really get after it in early October. That's kind of like a sweet spot for a guy like myself. You know, to get down there and, and ha- take a couple cracks, especially on the public. um, You know, before it gets uh, it gets hit pretty hard. So that was the biggest thing that changed was access went from what I thought was always going to be walking through open ridge tops um, to coming into your creek bottom. And uh, and that definitely is what paid off that day.
1: Nice, yeah. That dry creek bottom, dude. That's dude. Anytime I can find like a little, like little stream, ditch, whatever, you know that that I can use. Those are always money, man. Like that's. You know, oh, I
2: love it. Yeah,
1: it's a uh, that or water access. Those are like my two favorite, at least for me around here. You know, different of course whenever I'm traveling, yep. different places. But those are kind of like my two my two jams, if I can, uh, if I can have them. So you shoot this deer, like now, what are you, what are you thinking after you shoot him? Cause you just filled your Iowa tag aside from like what we said before, where it's like, man, I almost wish like immediately, like I had a little bit more time to drink this in, but you know, you just yeah. filled an Iowa tag, dude, like you gotta be stoked.
2: Oh, I'm so pumped. It was like, and it was, it was so cool too, because, um, you know, I'm, I'm anytime you can shoot one early in the day and you can like get him out before it's pitch black. Like that's always fun. You know, I shot him it. 1229 that day um so I called my buddy he came in he brought his his pack I met him back in my truck I dumped everything out of my pack we go in we quartered him up packed him out on our backs and and that's always just like from a nostalgia standpoint like I, I just love doing that like if I if I'm killing a deer and I'm packing him out that way like it always just feels awesome you know nice um so that was really cool but I had this like as excited as I was, like as, as stoked as I was, I'm like, man, I know the hunting from, like as soon as I go home, cross that border into Wisconsin, the hunting's going to just go boom, you know, kind of like, like <laughs> nose dive down a little bit. <coughs> right? like, right. This was my year to experience like, like multiple, you know, good bucks in bow range and past deer and all that, which I definitely got all of that throughout all of October. I was right. some of the guys I worked with, I was showing them pictures of like bucks that I was passing either on my buddy's property or on the public and they're like, what are you doing? Like shoot those deer, you know? Right. And, and again, you're just trying to soak it in. But as soon as I killed that deer to kind of like set in that Iowa was over, it's kind of like, I was just like thinking to myself, it's not going to be better at home. Right. (laughs) And, (laughs) and, and that does set up for Wisconsin because that, what ended up happening here was probably one of the most incredible, bull hunts, rock hunts I've ever had, period. Nice,
1: <laughs> nice. I, no, we're going to jump into that one next here, but I want to agree with you that, you know, two things that you said that I totally agree with. One is that morning hunt kill. Like that's, like, I don't have it, like I don't do it very often for whatever reason, most of mine are like midday or like evening. Um, but I love hunting mornings in October. It's actually probably one of my favorite times to hunt, especially like that kind of almost like October lull tam- time frame for whatever reason. Middle of the week. Yep. Around the lull, like, that's my favorite time because usually it keeps a lot of people out of the woods. You get a little bit more, less pressure, you know, for the most part, especially if you got some places dialed in, it can be just dynamite. And that's where I killed in Pennsylvania this year was, like, the 16th at 7.15 a.m., you know? And so my favorite part of it was what you were kind of saying was, like, I had all day to just soak it in. Like, there was no no rush. Like, I got to get them out, you know? It was just... It was gonna get warm, yes. I had to get him out, but like there I had all day to do it. It was a kayak ride. It was just like a lot of fun just to kind of soak in, oh, soak yeah. in the moment, you know. Um, but for me, it was like the opposite, because like now I was getting ready to go to Kansas. So now like my sights were set on like, okay, now I'm getting to go to the Super Bowl, you know, <laughs> type of thing. So it's it was, all the, it was it was the inverse, but you know, so you're so you fill that tag on the 30th, and now you're back in you're back in Wisconsin. So so obviously, the hunting's different there, right? but talk to me a it little is, bit about yeah. like the, the difference between like the habitat you were hunting on that public in Iowa versus the habitat you were, are hunting now in in Wisconsin.
2: Yeah, so um, the habitat in Iowa was definitely more um, gradual terrain. you know I, I like Bunny Hills is the mm-hmm. best way to put them you know their they're changes of elevation maybe like 250 feet, right. whereas uh, back home here in the, in the Driftless area, some of these hills are, you know, I mean, they there's stuff probably very familiar to what you're hunting out in, in the Northeast. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you get some real crazy changes in elevation some of the stuff, you know, is, is, uh, borderline like ridiculous steep, um, <laughs> which is stuff that I'm definitely looking for when it comes to like trying to separate myself, um, from hunter access. But the other thing when it comes to Wisconsin is, i bounce around way more in wisconsin than i do when i'm on a state when i'm on a state i've actually kind of taken a little bit of a reverse approach to that like even last year i was hunting in in, uh, in illinois and i had uh nine days to hunt and i'm like i'm gonna learn this it was a small property it was i mean when i say small it was still 300 some on acres but it wasn't the four thousand acre chunk everyone's kind of dreaming about and i'm like i'm right. gonna learn this area Great, um and and and, you know kind of sidetrack it that worked last year in uh in illinois i had probably 11 different stand locations that i hung my saddle in but they were all probably within 100 yards of each other it was just a game of fine-tuning whereas when i'm back home because this is kind of my home turf i spend a ton of time scouting i feel like i can just bounce all over the place so Mm -hmm. i have a couple pieces that are like really dialed in i know where to go if i get a big buck on camera i know how to hunt him i know where he's going to be and then i have other pe- pieces that are more of wild cards um where like i'll just take a swing on and and see what happens so i was hunting a uh, a giant here at home one that i that showed up right before i left for iowa the week before i left and i mean it <laughs> did I I, knock on wood, I think he actually might still be out there, but I mean, this deer is, is legitimate he'd be a buck of a lifetime for me for sure. Like he's a, he's a giant status. Um, and I was getting that deer pretty frequently and he's in a piece that I know super well. It's, he's actually on the piece that I spend me most time (laughs) on. And so I'm like, this is perfect. You know, as soon as I kill this buck in Iowa, I'm going to go hunt this thing now for, almost two weeks straight, because I still had all that time off work. And um, habitat-wise, that property is more rolling hills, uh, white oaks, a lot of multi-floor rows, thick bedding, that kind of stuff. Um, What I didn't, so so, uh, speeding up I come back home, I take a crack at them on Halloween, uh, no dice, see a bunch of young bucks, bunch of does, feeling really good we actually had snow on the ground that day. It just felt really right. November 1st, I go in there and it, by sunlight, sunrise was a 744. At 742, I was already out of the tree because there were so many squirrel hunters. I didn't know this, but that property it opened up for squirrel hunting on that day on November 1st. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Like it was absolutely the the craziest hunting pressure I've ever seen. I never knew squirrel hunting was that big out
1: there, dude. that's crazy
2: it's great it is it's it's definitely pocketed on you know it's there's some pieces where it's it's bigger there's other pieces where no one really messes with it, and this is one of the pieces that people are are it has a pretty loyal group of folks that hunt it and um yeah i mean it was it was unbelievable we, we legitimately comparable if not even more pressure than opening day of gun deer season wow. because there were more shots they're covering more ground right. Opening day, day of gun deer season people are generally going to a spot they're sitting whereas these folks were kind of walking ridges and walking all over the place there's squirrels all over and they were doing a bunch of shooting um but i wasn't gonna let that like totally discourage me i still hunted it i think four times between the 31st and uh the 4th Um, it never connected up with that thing. Um, I did actually just get a photo of that deer the other day. So I know he's still out there. Um, or at least he was right the day before the, the, the gun over, whether he's Mm -hmm. still there now, that's kind of a roll the dice flip a coin, you know?
1: Yeah.
2: Um, but anyways, yeah, that, that was, uh, from a habitat standpoint, that's kind of what I was dealing with here in Wisconsin. And then I, I was really frustrated because I just, you know, I, I, squirrel hunting thing totally wrecked my plans on, on targeting that deer. And I needed a total reset. I actually texted my buddies. I'm like, Hey, as much as I like, I want to rent this thing. Like I'm giving up on him. I'm waving the white flag. Like, it's not going to be worth me wasting my time even though this deer is so big, it's not worth me wasting a whole season on something that probably isn't going to happen. Right. Um, so I started bouncing around at that point.
1: Right. And so, yeah. And I mean, now you kind of know too, for that piece, it's like, if that deer is still around, it's like, you need to probably kill him early? You know, if that's going to, if that's, if that's going to happen. And so, you know, you're mentioning kind of that you're bouncing around, which is funny because I'm kind of the opposite. Like I bounce around a lot more when I travel and I have like very kind of like dialed in spots you know, to try to get away from pressure, like for me around here, you know, that I know that I can kind of slip into and I know like times a year, like I always say that I, I target dates more than I do like deer. Like I just target like really good dates that sure. I know are good for spots. Um, but I know I was reading your post about this, that you you talked about observing a lot of country in, in uh-huh. this. And so like, I, which was interesting, like, because I just, when I saw you killed this deer, I think I was just getting back from Kansas or I I just killed in Kansas. And so it was very top of mind that observing thing, because that's something that I'm having more and more appreciation for just as an East coast guy that grew up in the the, Timbers and stuff like where you can't see real far, like a visual wasn't really all that important to me. It was more like, where's the hot sign at that they're leaving. That's more what I'm kind of going on. That's what I've always kind of used. But actually in talking to Joe Rentmeister, uh, another Wisconsin fella. You know, like he, he was one of the, I won't say first guys, but just like the last session I did with him like, I just kind of noticed, I said to him after we got off the call, I said, you know, what's really odd is that, you know, you're a Wisconsin guy, you're hunting timber. I was like, but you mentioned getting a visual on a deer that you killed. Like you mentioned it multiple times. I was like, and it actually sounds a lot like hunting the way that actually the way the guys from like whitetail adrenaline do like where it's all about mm-hmm. the visual. If you don't have the visual, there is no hunt. You know. I was like, but you're just doing it sure. a little bit differently. And he was like, wow, he's like I never thought of it that way. He's like, but you're right. He's like I do rely on a visual almost more than anything more than anything else. And so it made me think of that when I read your post because like here's another Wisconsin dude <laughs> that's doing yeah. a lot of a lot of observing. You know, I'm learning more about it as I've been hunting like, you know, the the plain states and stuff like that. And it's slowly sinking in. So talk to me a little bit about like the observing that you were doing and like how that kind of played into the overall hunt.
2: Yeah. So this piece is a total, um, <clears throat> curve ball from all the other stuff that I hunt here back home. It's, it's a, uh, a, a piece that doesn't have a whole lot for tree cover on it. Um, and it's a lot of row crop and a lot of CRP and then several small kind of little like transition ditches, uh, or, Waterway ditches in between in the low points between the Ridge top fields. Mood mm-hmm. is high, cover is typically low in these bottoms where things going to come together. And um, I have hunted this piece uh, a couple times during the gun season here because it is such a weird spot that like people just don't think to hunt it. That's that's all actually been the only time that I've been in there uh, hunting was during the gun season. Um, and I and knock on wood, I've always been able to avoid hunting pressure there. And so that was kind of my thing is like, I needed a hard reset for myself, you know, after hunting basically every day from like 27th until when I ended up actually killing this deer on the fourth, I'd hunted every single day, you know, and I, I was, um, I got, I, you know, got home and I was still hunting back here in Wisconsin. And I'm like, I need a day to reset. So I didn't hunt in the morning. I worked on some like house projects, you know, got leaves kind of in order in our backyard and whatnot. And, uh, then that afternoon I'm like, I'm going to go just observe this, this property, get in a spot where I can see a ton. And, um, my goal was to see one, understand what the crop status was. I knew it was corn. I wanted to see if it was, it was, uh, still cut or if it was, uh, or if it was cutter standing. Mm-hmm. And then I just wanted to see like where deer were. Um, I was actually hoping that the corn was going to be still standing because I really like, I, I really, really like hunting on the backside of standing corn fields. I just feel like that is one of the, one of the, the, the biggest constants that I've seen in my time hunting is deer really like to transition on, on that backside of standing corn. And I think they feel really secure with security cover there. Rarely do things come through standing corn, and I've just, over the years, I can point back to a lot of times where I've seen mature deer, mature bucks cruising the backside of, of standing corn, especially in the low areas where the corn is up top and then there's a low area in the bottom. I think it's just something where they know nothing's coming up top through that standing corn and they just can dial in that bottom. They can see down in it. And then in the, in the mornings, they can bed down in that and still get thermals pulling down into mm-hmm. it. And it's basically, Hey, nothing's in here. And I'm, I've got it totally confirmed. So I was hoping that the corn was going to be still standing. And it was, hmm. um, so that was the biggest thing that I was kind of looking for. And then that, that sit was more of an observation sit. I was going to get in a spot where there were two trees that were big enough to, to hold, uh, uh or big enough to get in. And, uh, I went and I got set up in one of these trees and I could just see a ton of country. And I'm sitting there, it was warm that day. It wasn't an ideal, like didn't have that, that ideal, like big buck feel, but at, uh, at four o'clock I looked up, I just happened to kind of look straight to my north and I see this, this buck that as soon as I saw him, he was 350 yards away. I'm like, that is a no doubt shooter. And I cannot believe I'm seeing this right now, (laughs) um, (laughs) so yeah, he was kind of coming off this, this, uh, this ridge. With very limited cover, and um he was coming down into the bottom, and I just got excited. I grunted at him right away, and he couldn't hear me from that distance. and And this is I, I thought I messed up here in this moment, but I grabbed the amplers and I just started like hitting them hard together. And I did it for like maybe like five seconds until it like clicked in my head. I'm like, I should not be doing this right now mm-hmm. because he still had elevation advantage on me, and he had direct light of sight to where I was at. and and even the, this pin on my phone says, uh, decoy, rut stand, like me decoy. And I didn't have a decoy, like a dummy. <laughs> um, so when I started doing that, I'm like, I right, like, I like, he's going to see me. He's going to pinpoint it. He's going to know the, the gang's up and he's going to just keep cruising. So I stopped rattling, like basically as soon as I started and I lost him behind like the one kind of like cedar on that ridge. And there was just a little bit of like scrub oaks and stuff. And I just, I totally lost him. I lost him for like 25 minutes. And I'm like, man, he probably just boogered out of there. And, you know, he, he knew something wasn't right. And he just kind of jetted out. Um, so I was like really kind of agitated at myself for making that decision. I'm like, that was a rookie move to do that in that situation. I knew it was wrong and 25 minutes later he pops out on this point now he's down in a bottom and he's probably about like 500 yards away and i have like all this canary grass i have a fence line between me and him um and he he like he's definitely not going to be able to see like the the area that i'm that i'd be calling from but he's so far away i mean he's legitimately 550 600 yards roughly Um, I'm like, I, this is it. Like, I'm just going to kind of go for broke. Um, so I just grabbed the antlers and I just started smashing them together. And I, I haven't, I don't have a ton of experience rattling bucks in when it has worked. It's always been rattling sequences that have been more intense than what you would think to do. Mm um, and longer than what you would think to do. So I just grabbed those antlers and I was smashing them as hard as I can, as loud as I can. And I, I did it probably for like a minute and a half. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, 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 I stopped and he's just kind of standing there still looking at me and I'm in this whole time, I'm not even getting that excited. Because I'm, and I'm just playing this in my head and thinking that he's going to flick his tail and just keep going. Right. Um, so he stops and he's still standing there and I'm looking at him in the binoculars. And, uh, all of a sudden he flicks his tail and doesn't an about face and starts facing me. And as soon as he did that about face, all of a sudden he starts trotting and he just starts running, coming right at me. That's crazy. From like 600 yards away through the wide open. And I, I grab my phone, my cell phone to just like film a little clip of him kind of running through because I'm like. No way is anybody ever going to believe that this happened. I at least got to get some like video <laughs> evidence of like I saw a big buck today. I still don't think right. I'm going to kill this thing at all. Right. Like I'm not even excited. <laughs> I don't even have the bow in my. So I'm like just filming him, kind of coming through, and you know he had yeah. There's so much real estate between me and him, but he just keeps coming, and he closed from 600 to about 100. Probably in about like three minutes, you know, if he would just fast trot and then he would stop, lick his nose, lick his tail, and, and you know, he, he just would, he couldn't get a visual to where that sound came from, and he had right. to keep kind of working to a point where he could. He gets to 100 yards, and he's on the border of private and public, and he's he's standing on private at the barbed wire fence, looking into public. And I'm just thinking to myself, I'm like, this is it, buddy. Like, you're either going to hop this fence or you're not. And if you hop the fence, like, you're pretty committed. And then mm-hmm. at that point, I was going to get pretty excited. And he stood there for probably about a minute, and uh, which was way longer than I wanted him to. I want—I was hoping he was going to come to that fence and make the snap decision to come in. So as soon as he started kind of hanging up, I'm like, this is dude, It's over. Um, but all of a sudden, boom! He hops the fence and he just kind of starts working this this little transition line of like the only pocket of cover in this ditch that I'm set up in. And at that time, uh, Spiker walked, Spike Buck, little year and a half old Buck pops out right in front of me at about 20 yards, mm-hmm. and um, I'm like, "This is absolutely perfect! Like he's going to see this this you know little Buck and
1: now you got just your decoy come
2: right in, got my decoy exactly." Yeah. <laughs> So um, he gets behind this pin oak, and I can't see him, but I can hear him kind of in there. He's, what he was doing is he was, tra- he was going up. Uh, picture a, a, a ridge that drops down, and then a fence line that goes north-south, and I'm on the bottom, you know, but that ridge is kind of going up on up above me. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was getting up on that ridge. What I'm assuming he was doing was trying to get a, a line of sight down into that where, where he had that noise pegged. And he's looking down there and he sees a spiker and I can hear him grumbling and just kind of coming closer I can hear more scrapes and, and you know, but I can't see him at this point because this pin oak is, is uh between him and I. And how close,
1: how close is he at this point?
2: He's probably about 70 yards.
1: Okay.
2: And, and what's that, spi-
1: what's that com- spike buck doing? Does he know that he's like, <laughs> that he's been set up
0: or.
2: <laughs> oh yeah. He's uh he's definitely like that spikers getting a little bit nervous and, you know, boxing his ears and he's just looking at the, the bigger buck. And, but he's also very curious. And this is what ended up kind of almost ruining it for me. That's that little buck is getting curious and he's walking away and he's walking towards that buck and that uh, he finally gets to about, uh, you know, 50 yards and he stops and he's looking at that. It, like, I still can't see the big one, but he's, he's basically straight to my left. He's almost—he he is actually higher than me, elevation-wise. Like he's above me, and um, he's looking at the the bigger buck. And as soon as he got elevation advantage on that big buck, that big buck came on, He hated it. He kind of he he busted out of the cover and and like you know lowers his head to run that small buck off and and he did and that small buck runs up out of it you know up and over you know into the next county like just Mm -hmm. you know went tearing out of there and i went from what i thought was going to be a great situation to a really really bad one i'm like this is he's going to follow that buck or at least run that buck off but he's standing there at 50 yards he's working a scrape and he's got his antlers up in the scrape and uh you know, I, I dial the 50 and, and I, I draw back that spiker is up, still up at the top of the ridge and he's pretty pre- preoccupied on that small buck. And I shoot and I just missed him just a touch low. Um I actually thought, I thought I smoked him at first because of the sound that the arrow made when it hit the, the you know, just like muddy ground behind him. It was just that hollow whop. Right. He kind of like mule kicked a little bit and he came down the, ran down the ridge 10 yards closer yet and he bristles back up <laughs> <laughs> and he turns straight straight away and walks right back to that same scrape that he was in so I give myself an extra two yards of uh, elevation dialed into the site and I'm like this is it like I, I, I it's got to happen now or I'm not gonna you know get a crack at this thing again and I so I draw back and I just I, I remember holding like really long and just really trying to burn that pin in him and really just trying to focus on making a good shot. Cause I know that first shot I just was, you know, just rattled in this buck. You're super excited. And I know I'm just punched the trigger. You know, I just got pin on beer, sent the arrow. So for the second shot, I was really just kind of focusing on trying to keep my form, you know, maintain, maintain like a real solid, steady bow arm and just start pulling through the shot. Bow goes off. And I see the arrow just burying right where the fit is. It's maybe about three inches up from the bottom of the brisket. Um, so lower, but, uh, but not low to the point where I'm like worried about it. Right. Um, arrow buries to the fletchings, the, the buck drops down to the ground and kind of like snowplows for like one to two steps. And as soon as I saw that, I'm like, he's done. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he kind of regained that, regained his footing trotted up to the top of the hill Stood there for like three seconds and then i lost them and i'm just you know my wheels are turning I'm, I'm trying to replay everything in my head about five minutes goes by i can hear him coughing up there so i know i have like i have i have a, at least one lung you know right. but i was immediately that was the thing that had me cons- con- concerned as five minutes went by and he was coughing You know, if I were to double lung dumb, there's no way he had five minutes goes by and he's still coughing. So I I immediately started thinking one lung hit. I was just really paranoid. So I backed out. I called tracker that night. I called all my buddies. I actually called uh, Warb and and told him about the hit. And he's like, I'll go in there. That deer's dead. And I kind of just trusted my gut and, you know, wasn't going to go in that night. I was going to come back the next morning. It was going to be frosty, cold night. Come back that the next morning with my wife, and we go right to where I shot that deer. He had ran to the west, so I I hug the east fence line, mm-hmm. and as I'm coming to the tree, blow well, him out right there, and he goes stumbling across the private, and and he's walking across a pick bean field, and he looks awful. I mean, he can barely walk; like he's tripping. His rear end is kind of like hunched, and you know. He's being very deliberate with his steps, and it took him, you know, forever. It, it took him, I think, seven minutes for him to cross this field. Wow. And I'm just wrecked at this point. One, because, you know, the deer, you, you did that to that deer. As the hunter, that's not what you want. Right. Two, you know, I am obviously want to recover that deer, and I you know he's on private. I don't know how I'm going to get contact with this guy. Um, and all I can do is watch him go off. So I handed my, this was actually ended up being kind of, gee, I handed my phone to my wife and had her just film everything on my phone just so I knew exactly where that deer did go back into the brush um, once he got on the other side. And um, I actually watched him bed down once he kind of crossed. And But again, he's on private. I can't do anything. So fast forward a couple minutes, maybe about like a half hour, I hear a uh, four-wheeler in the private. I run down to the edge and I blank the guy down, thumbs over, tell him about what happened. The guy was phenomenal. He gave us access to go and track the deer. He said, he's right, battered right on my, my line. If you can't, if, he's, if you, know, you shoot him, he goes over the fence, here's that guy's phone number, and here's the number of the guy that leases it. The guy just was phenomenal. That's awesome. Um, which that... That ended up being the biggest key in this whole story was the fact that he was so generous with all that information. Because fast forward, I go in to try to get a shot at this deer. It's still early in the morning. It's still probably about 8 a.m. The sun is behind the hill. It's, you know, all the thermals are pulling down into this little like creek that uh, he had crossed. And they're going downstream. But then it's and and I can see him. he's probably about like you know forty yards away, but he's just bedded in like some real gnarly stuff and um i I sat on him for like probably an hour and a half. you know, I would draw back or store wheeze as loud as I could, just try to get him to stand up, and like he would not stand up mm-hmm. and um so i'm I'm like I'm just gonna wait him out um as soon as that sun popped up over the ridge, the day winds picked up and blew my scent right at him, and he stood up and just. I I couldn't thread one through there and he went maybe about 15 yards and bedded down again. But no, he's definitely on the neighbor's, that next neighbor's property. Um, so I call the neighbor, he gives me access, he puts me in touch with the guy that is leasing the property. And, um, and, and that's what I was kind of nervous about is I'm like, this guy is paying top dollar for this lease. Um, you know, he's got all this, He's got the week off that week. This is prime time. I just, I didn't have a good feeling about it, but the guy was phenomenal. He's like, Hey, he's like, that deer is dead. He's like, we're going to go find him. You tell me when you want to go, go in there to recover him. So this is now n a m AM that the next day after, after the hit. And, um, I just explained to the guy, I'm like, well, you, you're doing me a solid. You tell me, I'm going to, we're going to blow this up by walking in for this deer. So. Are, are you going to hunt this afternoon? If so, we'll give this thing until the following morning, which would have been Monday. Mm-hmm. And, um, he, uh, he's like, yeah, I am planning on hunting. He's like, that works out good for me. Let's plan a meeting here at six 30 Monday morning. So I would have given the deer a full extra, you know, 18 hours to expire. And, um, he goes in to hunt that afternoon and I'm just, like, replaying everything in my head. I'm looking at the video. I'm looking at all these pictures of blood. And it definitely, like, I definitely had, had bubbles in the blood. had lung blood. Mm-hmm. And um, I just couldn't figure out what was going. Like, I figured it was a single lung hit. But it also right. was low enough that, or in the area of the heart. But i just the heart. That's, like,
1: that's what I thought, like, originally, whenever you said where you hit it. I was like, oh, man, it <laughs> sounds like my might have got heart.
2: And, and especially with how the deer reacted with how he like his, his bottom kind of dropped out, you know, I've never hit a deer there and not hit in the heart. Right. Um, so I'm replaying all this stuff. There's a ton of coyotes on this property. I texted that, the, the, the uh, gentleman that leased the property about 3.30 that evening. And I texted him and I sent him a pin to exactly where the deer was. And I sent him all the pictures of blood just to really let him know that like, Hey, I'm not some guy that just like muscle hit a deer and that like, I'm, I, I wanted him to know that we were going to recover this deer and I sent him a pin. And what I was hoping he was going to do is, is to text me back and say, yeah, let's go get him. Because I, I just couldn't let myself wait another night, you know? Right. And, uh, what he ended up doing, and this is incredible. He got down, he had the right wind to kind of like still hunt through that area and get that pin, you know, uh, go right to that pin so he hugged, we had a south wind that day, he hugs the north line, got down out of his tree and uh, he's walking right with that pin. He said he pulled up his phone to look, to check like, you know, where he was on the map, the books down, sees the pin, looks up and that buck is laying there, dead.
1: <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome <laughs>
2: it was it was unreal so he texted me right away and and uh you know he's he's like hey i got something that, that you might want and he sends me a picture of the deer laying there laying that's there dead awesome. in his bed so it was one of those things that like i was just so jacked you know like that could have went awesome so many buck different too, ways
1: that was such a good buck too oh. awesome deer
2: <laughs> thanks man I, I i'm stoked like it was he's You know super super solid buck um and and just for that guy to do me that solid like it could have gone a lot of different ways for a lot of different people so i'm really fortunate really thankful it ended the way that it did because man that would have been a tough one to to swallow so anyways like fast forwarding here to uh the shot because i think this is super interesting um you know field dress the deer and what ended up what i ended up hitting was uh just one blade went through the bottom of the heart Mm-hmm. Um like if if you think about the heart kind of as like an upside down uh like pear, you know, that little node in the bottom, that had just one one uh cut through it. The deer ended up being a little bit more quartering towards me than I thought he was. In hindsight, you know, I don't actually if I would have known that he was quartering like that, I don't know that I've taken that shot at fifty yards. Mm-hmm. Um because it actually entered in front of the onside shoulder low and flipped the bottom of the heart and then put a hole in the front bottom of the, uh, offside lung, and then, uh, uh, broke the, the shoulder, the upper leg bone on the opposite side. So that's, that is what explains him kind of dropping down at the, right. at the hit and what explains the arrow, not blowing all the way through because if I were have just hit ribs. It would have, you would have thought just gone right through. Right. So, you know, there are a bunch of learning things for me is like, you know, one lung hit deer, obviously that, that deer that's, that's a deer that can live. I think what did this guy in was obviously the the small cut in the heart and that broken leg. But I think the thing that really helped me is the thing that actually in the moment hurt the most, but that was bumping that deer. Mm. I think if he would have laid another, you know, six hours, it would have clotted up a little bit more Mm -hmm. and not to say he wouldn't have died. It just would have been really hard to find him because when he jumped up out of that bed, when I went and looked at it, there was, there was a, there were several huge clots of blood in the bed and him walking through bean stubble. I mean, we were able to find blood in bean stubble and uh, you know, anyone that's ever tracked a a deer through like a, a lawn or like bean stubble or like short grass, you know how hard it is to find blood in that. Mm-hmm. So the fact that we were able to find blood in bean stubble definitely tells me that, like, getting him kicked up and getting those clots out kept that blood going, and I think expedited the 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 process, even though it was obviously much longer than I ever would have wanted.
1: Right, right. That's crazy, man. I'm glad you got. I'm glad you got that buck. And that, those two guys are 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 gems for hooking that. Yeah. up. You know what I mean? Because that that just doesn't happen very often anymore. You know, like I know a guy, does there, there's a guy that uh, I know who was in, uh, he was also in Kansas the past like week or so. And I think he hit one and like ran onto, he was on public and hit one and ran on the private. And he was like, and I, I don't know whether, like, I don't know. I heard this like secondhand from a buddy of mine. Cause it's a mutual friend that we have. Um, and I don't know if the hit was, I'm assuming it was fatal, but he asked the property owner if he could go on and retrieve his deer. And the guy was like, no. He's like, you know, and I'm just like, man, that's, I mean, I get it. It's like, you know, it's your property, but it's just like, I have a hard time believing like, I if if someone killed a deer and it was on my property, it's like, I'd be like, dude, go get your deer. Like it's, you didn't, you didn't kill it on my property. Just happened to go die on my property. You know what I mean?
2: Like, exactly.
1: you know, so that's awesome that they, that they, that they did that, man. It's awesome buck. And, uh, that's awesome. You route. I wanted to ask you like, how often do you rattle in Wisconsin?
2: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. I, that was going to be the last day I ever brought rattling it was with me because like I, <laughs> I, I do it a fair amount in, um, in late October because I do kind of have like my strategy is very much like when I'm not hunting a specific deer, I'll hunt areas that I know are good and have high densities of like three-year-old plus deer. And what I'm always doing, at least the way that I played in my head is, uh, I'll focus on these, these, you know, top 10% spots and I'll bring your antlers in and I'll just try to like, you know, call something in, in, um, in those areas where I know there's a lot of deer. Um, I've, I've, Killed one other buck on public, rattling them in in Wisconsin, but other than that, this was the only other time I've ever had one respond positively to it. Right. So you know, it was it was a situation where I'm like, man, these things are heavy, they're loud. I don't like bringing them it's extra space. This was mm-hmm. going to be the last time, and then that happened.
1: Right. Right. And what kind of decoy do you use? I'm just curious.
2: So what what I did, I I I did I don't. Or, didn't have one on that hood but i bought a montana decoy the uh, freshman buck um i think that's what it's called it's uh it's a little like four pointer it's a two-dimensional decoy uh holds up i can put it right in my backpack um and it's one of those it's so light that you don't even know it's there and um i'm gonna start using that thing is is um even in the timber you know just putting that thing out especially on days where you know some of these open ridge tops here are you can see you have pretty good visibility on. And, um, you know, if you're not right on the X, I do think that that's a helpful tool to, to get something to at least come in posture up and, and, uh, hopefully do the things.
1: Right. Yeah. It's like, I started using a decoy. Well, I don't really use one around here and I, there's one setup that I probably should, um, but definitely use it out you know, where I was at this past couple, couple weeks, I just use a heads up decoy that I kind of rigged up, put on a stake. Yeah. That way I can stick it into the ground and, um, you know, and it's been really helpful. I, I, I uh, decoyed in like a small, I don't know, he was probably like a year and a half eight point or two year old eight point while I was out there. You know, he came into like, yeah, goodness, man, I think he got to like five yards It was just like staring at it. And I was just in a ghillie oh, jacket, man. like moving it. And I'm moving, like seeing it because I wanted to see how much I could get away with, you know, I was like, well, let me test it on this guy and see like how much movement I can m- get away with before he gets unnerved, you know? Um, cause my sure. buddy, uh, Travis Glassman, he's like, dude, he's like this time of year. He's like, if you have that decoy out, he's like, you will be surprised by how much movement you can get away with. As long as you are majority majority of your body is behind the decoy. He's like, cause they're just expecting mm-hmm. to see, they're expecting to see movement from the deer. They're like, in, and they just get so zoned in on the decoys. Like they don't even really notice what's moving around the decoy they just associate it with the deer and so i got him to like i got him to like five seven yards and was moving and turning it like as he was kind of walking around it and he finally got you know jiggy and like moved moved away but he only took like one jump to like 12 yards you know or whatever just like stood there i mean i had him in bow range for probably five minutes yeah that is super cool yeah, it's just cool. It's it's, like he he was so close, I could hear him breathing, like like really yeah. like snorting in, you know what I mean, get, getting a lot of scent because he was actually sniffing an area that I had walked through. And he was like, you could really tell he was investigating. He's like, what's that? You know, it's like, yeah. and then he didn't even see the decoy at first because I put it up because I saw him coming from like, oh, geez, I don't know, probably 60 yards away. And I just put the decoy up and I was like, oh, it's just, we'll play with this guy and see if like how this works and just like get a practice run in. And he got to like 10 yards and still didn't notice it. And then he just happened to look up and he was like he was like whoa he was like hey <laughs> he was like who are you and he starts walking around it and I'm like moving I'm like Dude. I was like this guy has no clue that I'm here it's crazy
2: that but, is uh, so cool but
1: man you know I want to I want to get back to like something we talked about earlier cuz you know you kind of walked us through you know both your hunts and you know we talked about how you got into the hunting space you know how you got into the hunting industry and what you what, you know um, and that, what that path looked like. And then you kind of told us about these two hunts that you recently had. And it's clear that you have like a passion for the outdoors and hunting whitetails, like specifically. Right. And you and I talked about this a little bit before we started recording, you know, for anyone who's listened to this and listened to the session that Jared Scheffler and I did, um uh, from whitetail adrenaline, like one thing we talked about mm-hmm. was just mm-hmm. like some of the challenges that he had, like, you know, in building in doing, um, putting together uncuffed. Right. And he had some kind of challenges that he went through with that and then he really kind of lost his love for what he was doing. And that was part of it because he just burned himself out, right? And that, you know, he went so hard for so long at that thing that he just couldn't do it anymore. Um, and for and I have some experience in this just like from music because I did the same thing. It's like I ran so hard so long in the music space that I got to a point to where like the thing that I loved and was passionate about, like I grew to hate and I had to just like completely. Yeah, um, and so for a guy who works in the hunting space is like around hunting all the time. Like, how do you find that balance that you're able to balance, like the professional world that you live in, that you do this for a living, right. While, try, while maintaining like the passion for the hunt, like you do, right. Cause I think it's a fine balancing act that you have to kind of thread the needle a little bit because I think yep. you can really easily let the amount of time you spend as a profession kind of seep into and even if i mean you love your job you know and in and, and, and that's awesome but there is a professional component of it that like that is work let's be honest right it's like you do it day in and day out and if you do anything day in and day out without any like little breaks you know can become monotonous and so i'm just curious how like you've kept yep. that passion for the outdoors that you have while also doing it professionally and not letting like sometimes the work grind kind of seep away or eat away at the passion part of it if you know what i mean
2: I I know exactly where where what you mean there, and and it, I think so. I'm, I'm going to give some context to this because it's not a total black and white answer. The last year that I was at Midwest Whitetail was uh, 2017, er, the last fall that I was there was the fall of 2016. And between uh, spring turkey and bow hunting that fall, I think I I hunted, um, and and this isn't times for the bow. I think I in that fall, I only had a bow in my hand five times. Um, so five times with a bow in my hand and I was in the field, I want to say it was between 87 or 92 days. Now that's from Turkey season and, uh, season. So that's not just deer hunting, but that is, mm-hmm. that's a lot of time. And of that five of those days were, uh, were my personal hunts with a bow that fall. Um, and it, so it was a lot. And I remember times, um, specifically late November of that year, it, it was the, the one that stands out to me the most. It was the uh, the weekend after Thanksgiving. There was snow on the ground. Um, I I had to film Bill that day, and I had uh the next day Bill wasn't going to hunt. So like I had all the opera I I had a tag I could have hunted, and I I'm like man I'm sleeping in I'm I'm I, the last thing I want to do tomorrow is go hunting. Like I, I need to, you know, hang out with my wife. I want to walk our dog and watch a football game, like a like a person, you normal know? human. <laughs> yeah, Ex- exactly. And <clears throat> I and that was a moment. That was actually the moment that I started looking for jobs outside of filming Um mm-hmm. That was that was like the time. And it was uh, then December of that year that I found a job at the Department of Natural Resources here in Wisconsin that I did for one year between. Uh, Midwest Whitetail and then coming over to Vortex. Mm-hmm. And when I, uh, when I did that and I made that decision that leave Midwest Whitetail, it was a super hard decision because we had talked about the hunting public back in mm-hmm. those days. We didn't have a name for it. We didn't call it the hunting public, but we would had powwows about that all the time. Like mm-hmm. this is something that we can do. We wanted to do it at Midwest Whitetail, but that obviously the way things worked out, they ended up doing their own thing. And it's, you know, I that's familiar with the hunting public knows how it worked out. Um, so walking away from that was something that was super hard, not only because I was passionate about what we were doing, but because I loved those guys. Right. Um, so left that and I, my wife and I made that decision and it was to this day, I'll stand by that, that that was absolutely the right call. Um, and then that, uh, that fall, that following fall would have been fall 2017 um, I remember thinking to myself, like, this is gonna be really interesting for for me. Like this is gonna be a totally it'll be like my first time hunting again a little <laughs> bit, and I'm gonna just kind of go into this and see what I like, what I don't like, and I'm gonna hunt as much as I want. And um, you know, I grew up in Wisconsin, and I ha- used to have some private access, uh here, and I had never hunted in public land in Wisconsin um in the southern part of the state. Because I grew up hunting, you know, private land in, in the southeast part. Uh, but I lost that. So I, that year, fall 17, was entirely dedicated just to kind of learning public land and figured it out kind of in this area. And I got, I was really fortunate, killed an awesome buck on November 4th. Um, it was something that was total, like troubleshooting the whole season and figured it out. lights like I did it at my pace, which I think is key. Like I did it how I wanted to do it. If I had a day off of work that I could go hunt, I either did or I maybe went to the apple patch or apple pumpkin patch with my wife and did, you know, did that. Um, and and it sounds so funny, you know, kind of like talking through that, but man, that balance is something that I was just personally, like I was missing that balance. And then the other thing that I thought back on a lot was, uh, the fall of 2016. I, I, uh, again, that last fall that I deer hunted it or that I worked full time at Midwest Whitedale, I hunted Northern Wisconsin. And this is something that, like, I'm super not proud of. I killed a little four-pointer up there in uh, in northern Wisconsin on, like, this 500,000-acre piece of public land. And uh, I killed that buck, and I didn't even take, a, like, a picture of me holding it because I was mm-hmm. just it – was, it was like, oh, it's a small deer, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, like, looking back at that now, I regret that so much mm-hmm. because shooting that buck up there, that little – probably nine inch four pointer would, is the equivalent to shooting 140 inch deer on in public land in Iowa, you know? Right. And I was just so close to the industry at that point. And the industry was telling everyone to shoot big deer. And that was, was the things that were getting talked about that I didn't even take a gripping grin photo with a with a buck that like, man, I could hunt my whole life and I might shoot a handful more of those, you know? Right. So that was like a red, a red alarm for me that like, man, like something is wrong internally that I need to kind of figure out what that looks like so to wrap a bow on that like very long-winded but I feel like that context is important what I do know, and I I, I've never been more satisfied and excited about hunting than I am right now today and I what what I do what basically my thing is is that balance between of like if I want to do something with my wife and our dog um or friends or family whatever do that but hunt for the right reasons and, and, and what makes you happy, you know, like my success metric isn't going to be a, uh, age class or inch of antler. It's like, if it feels right. And it's, my wife always asks me, she's like, well, are you ready to be done? You know, are you ready to be, are you ready to park ways with your tag? Right. And that that has been something. Yeah. And that has been the thing that I just kind of hang on to. And you know, it's, it's, a very easy answer to that question. When something comes in, it's like either, yep, I I feel fulfilled out of this experience. I'm going to shoot this deer or maybe, Hey, you know, this is an awesome buck. I'd be very happy with it, but I'm not ready to be done yet. And that's That's been something that, yeah. Yep. So that's, that's been uh, the metric. Yeah.
1: That's awesome, man, dude. Well, I've kept you here a little over an hour and a half, buddy. I want to be sensitive to your time. I'm glad we finally got to get on here and, uh, In chat you have an open invitation anytime you want to come on dude uh you know you're you're people man you're good people um you tell good stories (laughs) which is which is a bonus um you know and you hunt for the right reasons and i just like i always love talking to guys that you know are honest about their feelings about it and how they've gone through it because i think not enough people kind of share that you know you don't have to love it all the time and it's okay you know, it, yeah. it's a, it's okay for it to sometimes take a back seat to other things, you know. That's perfectly fine. Oftentimes when you do, you come back and you're actually a lot better. You know, there's like
2: Absolutely. it's kind of
1: like the quarterback that's having a rough run, right? Gets injured, and maybe getting that injury and sitting and watching the game for four weeks is the best thing that ever happened to him because he remembers how much he likes it and embraces like the process, not just the game day, right? Because he can't do any of it. Yep. And then also sees The field from a different perspective right and i think sometimes in hunting giving yourself a little grace you know is uh it can help you out in the long run funny thing happens is i'll quote my buddy tony peterson he told me this and you know i talked about this before we started recording is that when you just start deer hunting he's like you'll be surprised how quickly tags get filled and big deer start hitting the ground you know it's absolutely man so, well, I appreciate you, man. Before I uh, get you out of here, uh, let people know where they can follow you, find out what's going on with you, and uh, anything that Vortex might have going on that you want to that you want to mention too.
2: Yeah, definitely follow follow along, uh, Vortex. We've got uh, we're doing a lot of cool stuff over there. Um, you know, we're we're really building up what we're calling our Vortex Nation uh, uh, newsletter, which is basically um, a newsletter that you sign up for on the website. We'll send you all our like latest content, exclusive content you know, promos, all that stuff. Um, personally, you can follow me on Instagram, Eric Barber 8 um, I post a lot of my, you know, my hunting stuff there. I uh, do some freelance work for outdoor life, uh, more gear review type stuff. So you can kind of get thoughts on, on that kind of thing. And um, yeah, that that's where you can find me.
1: Awesome, brother. I appreciate you coming on, buddy.
2: Thanks, man. Been a blast. All right, folks, that is a wrap
1: for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there as well. I'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. And before I shut this thing down, we need to give a big shout-out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, and Genesee Beer. And until next time, we'll see y'all.